0: Let's begin in Psalm 147. Psalm 147. i read a few verses from there. All right, Psalm 147, and I'll read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 5. Says this, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Move this up a little bit. Sorry. All right. Is that better? All right. Thank you. All right. Let's pray. Father, again, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather uh, together. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of thy people that are here and those that are listening in. And Lord, you know the needs of every heart and every home. And Lord, we do ask, dear God, that you would help us, Lord, just to lean on thee, to rest in thee, to abide in thee. And Lord, just to be faithful, to rest in your faithfulness, no matter what be going on, may be going on in our life. Lord, we do pray uh, for anyone here, and Lord, especially our young people, uh, dear God, that might need to be saved. Lord, we want to see our young people saved at the youngest age possible. Lord, we want to see you work in and through their uh, lives. And Lord, help us, uh, dear Lord God, to be uh, examples before them, uh, dear God, uh, that their desire... Lord might be towards you again. Help those with uh, physical needs, Lord. Again, we think of uh, Sunny tonight. We think of Brother uh, McLean and uh, others, Lord. God, please uh, touch them, and uh, Lord, uh, help us as we look at Your Word in Jesus' name, Amen. So I want to do a lesson tonight, and I was—I don't know that I'd ever done a, a lesson on this, but I thought it'd be interesting uh, on numerology. Anybody ever who here's ever studied numerology? Right, right, right. Okay, And uh, so you you might know some of these. But of course, we'll start with the number one. You know, it is interesting to uh, study in uh, the Bible. And let me uh, give you some things here is by way of introduction. Bible numerology is the study of the significance of numbers in the Bible. Two things can be said about this subject. First, it is one of the more obscure areas of Bible study. Second, it's very fascinating exercise, uh, something interesting to study. It's not something you want to get bogged down in, but it is interesting uh, to look at. Numbers are an integral part of the Word of God. Matter of fact, one out of every five verses contains a number. Matter of fact, there's a book called what? Numbers. Right. Uh, what number of the book of the Bible is that? Number four, right? Its author, of course, uh, of the Word of God is the creator of a mathematically exact universe. You know, people say, well, you know, science, science. Well, you know, hey, God put all that together, right? He put the laws of science uh, together. That's why I like that verse in Hebrews, right? We know by faith that what the, the, the worlds were framed by the Word of God and not by things which do appear. And they say, well, so you got to study the science. You know, I like that it says, which do appear. I said, well, when you study it, it might appear that's the way it was made. Right. I mean, because he put it together complete. So it might appear that it was made that way. But by faith, we know it wasn't made the way it appeared. You know, when he made it, maybe there are all, the, all those layers through the earth and, you know, maybe all this going on. So it might appear that way. But by faith, we know that's not how it came to being. He spoke. Boom. There <coughs> there it was. And it is here. It's again. So God again, the Creator and Author of the Word of God, a Creator of a mathematically exact universe. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you know, the clocks out there. They know. I mean, they know where that comet's going to be hundred years from now, and where the sun's going to be. I mean, that is amazing. That all that uh, uh, stuff out there just moves. Amen. Uh, like a Swiss uh, watch. Even even better. Let me give you uh, some uh, verses about this. What well, we just looked at uh, these verses, verses four and five says, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. That's amazing. Can you imagine when you uh, get to heaven and the Lord sees a few signs just like, uh, yeah, uh, just let me correct you on some of those names out there. That's, that wasn't their name. Okay, so you've been calling them the wrong thing for years. You know, he's going to tell them what their names were. And it says, great is our Lord and of great power, and his understanding is infinite. But some uh, uh, things from the word of God that talk about that and about how powerful our God is. Psalm 40, 25 and 26 says this, to whom will ye liken me or shall be my equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth them out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power. Not one faileth. Of course, this one. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And that's easier for some than others. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Easier for some than others. Psalm uh, uh, 40, verse five, right? He's a God of order and not of randomness. The Word of God says this, Psalm 40, verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, thy thoughts, which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And so we know He created this thing and He gave order to it. Right? Well, they call it intelligent design. Furthermore, certain numbers are clearly said to have more than a numeric significance. Of course, we think about that number mentioned in Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred score and six. And we know there's great significance to that number. But as with all areas of Bible study, Numerics is open to extremes. You've seen people write books on it and all that stuff. People can all man loves to take things to the extreme, perhaps more so than most. On the one hand, there's the extreme of ignoring any significance of numbers in the Bible. And the other extreme is to assign unwarranted significance to numbers, finding hidden meanings and words and the order of words in Scripture. But the Bible must be its own interpreter, right? Second, uh, Peter 1.20, knowing this first for that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So the following point should be kept in mind when studying the significance of numbers in the Bible. Let me give you these thoughts. Significance must be determined by usage from the fruit of the Bible study. It is a dangerous error to assign numbers a meaning in order to make them unlock the Bible. Right. Try and, you know, Put something there that's not there. I mean, just, you know, it is interesting to study, but just let it, you know, be what it is. A number does not necessarily have a symbolic or spiritual significance every time it's used in the Bible. Often the first mention of a number can give insight to any significant meaning it may have, right? You know, there's, when you study the Bible, there's what? The principle of first mention. So not just in numbers, but almost in anything. If you want to, Study it, go back to where it's first mentioned in the Bible, and understand maybe the context or thought there. And that'll help you as you study that thought through the Word of God. Often the first mention of a number can give insight to any significance, again, that it might have. Once we have, from a sound scriptural basis, determine the significance of any given number, we may cautiously proceed to consider some of the mathematical properties associated with the number. All right. So let's, uh, of course, we'll start with, the first number, number one. And anybody know what that might mean? Number one. Oh, I just want to. Unity or primacy. Primacy. Unity, right. The number one, of course, is indivisible. Standing alone and in no need of, need of another number. It is exclusive and the source and beginning of all other numbers. So, too, with God. Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. John 10, 30 says, I and my Father are one. 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. You see the significance of one. The oneness of God is not a denial of the Trinity. It is to the exclusion of any other God or Lord. It shows there's only one God. Exodus 20:30, right? The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Genesis 2.24 says this: Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's very significant, right? In studying about marriage. The oneness. One is a very important number in marriage. Matthew 19:6, wherefore they are no more twain, but one. Flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let no man put asunder. That's very important, right? In one, right? These verses here, and there's other verses that speak of the unity of matrimony and a husband and wife being one. So that's the number one is very important when understanding the relationship of husband and wife and uh, the foundation of a uh, family. And uh, let me give you some uh, other verses where it talks about one. In, in the New Testament, Galatians 3, 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. All right? Showing the the uh, the, the unity, right, that God has brought between uh, Jew and uh, Gentile and all others that in Christ, we're all one, we're all the same, we're all equal in Christ, He says in John 10, 16, other sheep have I, which are not of this fold. Them also will I bring in. Right. Talking about Israel and then bringing in the Gentiles. And they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Amen. He's uh, right. Uh, uh, God's uh, uh, family is one. And talking about uh, unity in the church, God's desire for unity and oneness in the church. He prayed that and pray that for his people. Listen to these verses. John 17 in the Lord's Prayer says this, That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me. I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. Talking about his presence people and God wants us to have unity in the church acts 4:32 and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul neither said any of them that out of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common right now they didn't practice communism they practiced commonism amen they had all things common and they helped one another which is a a, a, a good practice in Help in the things of God. So we see that one speaks of unity, unity with God, right? In the Trinity, there's unity, there's but one God. In a matrimony, husband and wife, God brings them together and they become one. God wants that unity in the home, God wants that unity among the church. So again, the number one stands for unity, and then let's look at some verses where it stands for primacy, right? The Bible says this, the Lord is the first and the last. There cannot be two first. Isaiah 43, 10 says, Ye are my witness, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe and understand that I am am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I know your children ask you, where did God come from? Well, Listen, if if we could answer that. Hey, I'm glad I have a God that I can't explain, right? But I have a God that I can't completely understand, but I'm glad I have a God that completely understands me. Amen. I'm glad he's bigger than me in all that happens in my life. Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I in the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So I'm glad there's one God. I'm glad there's only one Savior. I'm glad there's only one way. Amen. I'm glad there's only one truth. I'm glad he made it a uh, 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 simple that we don't have to try and figure out, well, is it this or that? No, it's just this. It's just him. It's just the gospel. Revelation 1, 11, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And so we see that he's the first and the last. And man is to seek God first. So when we think about one, there's one God, and he's the one we're supposed to seek, and we're supposed to give him first place in our life. Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first, right? The kingdom of God is righteous, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so uh, what a wonderful uh, thought, what a wonderful thought that is Some interesting first, right? Of course, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, says in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The the Genesis is the seed plot of the word of God. And most major doctrines of the Bible have their roots in Genesis. Listen to just some of the first that you find in the book of Genesis. Of course, you have the first day. The first man, the first woman, doesn't mention any other type of people after that, right? <laughs> you're just a man and just first woman. The first marriage, the first sin, the first promise of a Savior, the first sacrifice, the first birth, the first murder, the first city, the first uh, musician, the first manufactured tools, the first worship, the first flood, and unfortunately, the first drunkard and the first rebellion, the first pilgrim, the first war, and the first mention of love among many other first. The amazing thing that right at the beginning, God mentions uh, all those God mentions all those things right there and in the book of Genesis. Now here's what's interesting. The first question. Who know, anybody know what the first question is in the Bible? What's the first question found in the Bible? Trivia question. I think it's pretty interesting. First question. We're going to wait. Come on, give a chance. The first question found in the Bible. Yes, Joseph. The first question in the Bible. Yea, hath God said. Very good one. Somebody else? Where's that found? Uh Robert, give your father the answer. Let's look that up. Genesis 3. Right, Genesis 3 1. Genesis 3 1. What's the first, that's the first question in the Old Testament? What's the first question in the New Testament? Matthew 2 2, I believe. Matthew 2 2. Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Well, you see that question there where Satan trying to get man away from God. And then you see the first question in the New Testament is man trying to find God and where the Savior is. Right. So you have the first questions in uh, the Old Testament. The first hallelujahs in the Bible. Right. In the Old Testament, it's in Psalm 104 and the New Testament in Revelation, and the first acts of Christ's public ministry in Matthew. Important things to study, interesting things to study there. So we see a lot of interesting first in the Bible, but I want to go ahead and get to the next number, the number two. What's two represent? Anybody know what two represents? Well, I'll give you a hint. If one represents unity, (laughs) then what's two? Division. Right. Separation. In contrast with the number one, exclusive, indivisible, independent. The number two signifies difference and uh, divisibility. But it can also stand for strength. The first mention of two is in Genesis chapter one, verses 14 through 18. That's where you begin to see. 2 which says this Genesis 1:14 through 18 and God said let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so and God made two great lights two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night he made the stars also and set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So we see the first mention of two things there in Genesis 1, when God made the great lights. But the Word of God is divided into two segments, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3.6 says this, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 3.14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day, talking about the Jews, remained at the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Bible, we see two covenants. We see two covenants, the first covenant being the law, the second covenant being that of grace, which is known as the better covenant. In the Bible, right, there are two classes of people in God's sight, right? In God's sight, there's only two classes of people. There's only two types of people, a man and a woman, and only two classes of people, the saved and the lost, the just and the wicked, the sheep and the goats, the children of God and the children of the devil. So some of the twos mentioned in the Bible. Again, so it means division. There you see division. But again, it also means separation and strife. Amos 3:3 3, 3 says this: can two walk together except they be agreed? Boy, you see uh, 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 in the Bible, you see uh, often two people. The Bible has stories of two people, right? Cain and Abel, Abraham and Lot, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob. Boy, you see that strife, right? Cain and Abel, there was strife. Abraham and Lot, there was strife. Ishmael and Isaac, there was strife. Esau and Jacob, there was strife. And so that's why the Bible says in Matthew 6.24, who knows what that says? Matthew 6.25. That's why it says man cannot have what? Two masters. No man can have two masters. It says in Matthew 6.24, no man can have two masters, for they will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. You've heard the saying: anything with two heads is a monster, right? That's why you got to have you got to have authority, right? You can't have two, two heads uh, in a church. You can't have two heads in a home, right? Somebody's got to be in charge. Doesn't necessarily mean that somebody else is better than somebody else, but you've got to have order. You've got to have unity, right? You got to have one God over everything, right? You got to have. Uh, 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 authority and man can't have more than one authority in his life. You know, I tell people, I say, listen, everybody has an authority in their life and I've chosen the word of God uh, to be the authority in my life. We can't have, we can't have two, right? There are two opposing spirits in the world, two opposing spirits in the world. First John 4, 6 says, we are of God. And he that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know what? The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Two different spirits that are working in the world. Boy, we certainly see that that's, uh, and of course, when you reject truth, you know, why is all this going out there? Well, they've rejected the truth. All that's left is the spirit of error. And boy, is the world following that spirit of error, it seems like more than ever before today. And of course, uh, what's the great battle going on in our life? The battle between the flesh and the spirit, right? Those two opposing forces in our life of the flesh and the spirit. Uh, The Word of God says in uh, Galatians, uh, there about, uh, it says the flesh and the spirit are contrary to each other. And that's the battle we face every day. The battle between those two opposing spirits within us, the flesh and the spirit. But on a positive note, right? The Bible says two are better than one. right. When you're uh, doing something, Ecclesiastes uh, 4, 9 and 10 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he that hath not another to help him up. So it's always good to have somebody else in our life to help us along the way. Boy, we see that, the Lord always sent His disciples out two by two. Luke 10.1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place where He Himself would come. We know it's go. If, if you're going out witnessing, it's better to have somebody with you, right? The, that partner that speaks, the partner that's silent, and boy, I think uh, uh, this, is a, this is a failed thing in the ministry. I think it's always good. I think it, like for missionaries, you know, a lot of times missionaries go out and they think they have to be the one to do this and that because they want to get the credit for it. I think, boy, it's always, I tell you, I'm thankful for the times uh, in, in the ministry where I've had uh, somebody else uh, to work with and not worry about who got the credit. Boy, when you have uh, people that somebody wants the credit, it messes everything up. And again, when Brother Kranz and I, uh, some of you met Brother Kranz when he, he and I worked together in Bulgaria, and we just went out there and did it. We didn't care who got the credit. We didn't even talk about it. We just went out there and, and did it. And what a great blessing. What a great blessing that is when you have somebody uh, to go along with you. Of course, the Bible talks about in resolving problems when it talks about in the church when there's issues to bring somebody with you. Matthew 18, 16. But if he will not hear thee and take with thee one or two more then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If you have to deal with something with somebody, it's always good to have somebody along uh, with you uh, that, that you can have a confidence in. So we see the number one, we see the number two, and then we'll finish up tonight with this one, number three. Anybody know what number three stands for? Pardon me? Trinity? Well, divinity. Divinity. Very good. The number three is one whose significance may be uh, abduced from both biblical and natural consequences. It is the divine number. And it's amazing when you look at things, usually how everything's in threes. In threes, right? We deal with the, when we think about our world, we think about the sun, the earth, and the moon. Right? Those are the main three uh, 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 bodies that we deal with. There are three, of course, there's three persons in the Godhead. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so that's amazing. There's, there's uh, 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 three persons in the Godhead. And about everything that we deal with a lot of time has to deal with in threes. So there's three persons in the Godhead. God dwells where? He dwells in the third heaven. Right. And of course, uh, heaven resounds with what? Three times. Holy, holy, holy. Right. Thou art a thrice holy God. And of course, Jesus Christ is called him which is present, him which was past and him which is to come future. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. Three times. It's amazing how many things are threes in the Bible. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted three times. All right. Uh, Christ raised three people from uh, the dead uh, while up while upon the earth. Boy, you, you know, I tell you, if you, you always want to make sure that you invited him to the funeral. Hey, man, when he was on earth. Right. Always. In, make sure Jesus gets an invitation. Right. Make sure he gets that. Did he RSVP? Did he RSVP? You know, well, yeah, he RSVP, but he hasn't showed up yet. Right. That's what Matthew and Martha said. Right. He prayed three times in the garden. Christ was denied. What? Three times by Peter. And it was interesting, right? He denied, uh, Peter denied him three times. And then when uh, Jesus uh, confronted him, right, after the resurrection, he, what, three times asked him about loving him. An interesting thought there. And uh, Jesus died, what, in the third hour, right? And it was dark for how long? Three hours. Christ rose on the third day. And of course, Christ, right, has three offices. What are they? What are Christ's three offices? What are Christ's three offices? Prophet, priest and king. Yes, three offices. Now, here's something that I thought was interesting. The Lord Jesus Christ. Right. We know he, we know him as the shepherd. But do you know that he's called three kinds of a shepherd. I think these are interesting. Let, let, let me give you these, these verses. Jesus Christ is called three kinds of a shepherd. Notice John 10, 11. John 10, 11. Let's see. Somebody read John 10. 11. Joseph, will you look up John 10, 11, please? Uh, Lester, do you mind looking up Hebrews 13, 20? And Brother Wood, would you do 1 Peter 5, 4? So John 10, 11. Right. So notice this. He's called the good shepherd and the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. So there we see the good shepherd, right, that dies. The good shepherd that dies. And uh, Hebrews 13, 20. So we see the good shepherd that died. We see the great shepherd that rose again. And then the, the, the third shepherd, 1 Peter 5 4, Brother Wood. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So we have the good shepherd that died. We have the great shepherd that rose again. Then we have the chief shepherd that appears in glory. I just just think those little nuggets in there in the Word of God, I think, are so precious. We think about a shepherd, but he's a shepherd there that's with us all the way. He's a good shepherd that was willing to day in his life. He's the great shepherd that rose again for us. And then he's the chief shepherd, amen, that's going to meet us in glory. And then salvation through Christ has three tenses. What? Past, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. Present, I'm being saved from the power of sin. And then perspective, I will be saved from the presence of sin. So there's three great parts to my salvation. Hey, my past has been taken care of. Amen. I've, and then my, my, I'm fine in my present and then I have my future to be taken care of. So I've been saved from the penalty of sin. Right. I'm enjoying the power over sin right now. And then one day I'll be delivered from the presence of sin. So I'm saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. I'm being saved from the power of sin. Amen. Sanctification. And then I'll be saved from the presence of sin. That's glorification. Wonderful set of threes right there. Here's one. There are three abiding graces now. Now these three abide. What are the three abiding graces right now? And of course, the greatest one sitting right over here. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. What are they? What are the three graces that are abiding right now, it says? Roberts can answer? Faith, hope, and charity. These three abide faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Why do you think the greatest of these is charity? That's right. We won't need faith, right? Our faith will turn to sight. That which we hope for has been realized. But you know what? We'll still have to put up with each other. So it's going to take a lot of love. Amen. We still need that love. Oh, there's Sister Pam. How you doing? Uh, You got your mansion fixed up yet? Good to see you. Amen. What a great time that will be. Man was created in the image of God. So what did he do? He gave us the image of God. So we have what? Body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body. See, it matters. That's what you, <laughs> every one of those areas are important. Amen. Be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what's some? Uh, A wonderful thought right there, that body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless. And we'll finish up just an interesting thought here. Just in the natural world, the many threes that are there, right? There are three primary colors. Yellow, is that magenta, and cyan are the three primary colors. There are three primary kingdoms, animal, vegetable, mineral. There are three primary forms of matter, solid, liquid, gas. Three periods of time, past, present, future. Basically three dimensions, length, width, and height. And again, three areas of human capacity, thought, word, and deed. Just some interesting thoughts on those numbers, but how God, when he's putting all that together, just sort of how they have a significance, you know, and again, you don't want to, Go too far to the right hand or left on them, but interesting things to pay attention to as you study the word of God. in with those three numbers right there, let's pray.